Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. Today is the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Tevet. December 19th, 2021. And this week, we're starting not only a new Torah portion, but also a new book. We finished the book of Genesis, the book of Brishit, that told us the ancient history of the Jewish people all the way up to the enslavement of Egypt. It told us the story of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Yosef. And now in the book of Shemot, we have been in Egypt for 200 years, and the Jewish people have been enslaved in Egypt for 200 years. And now the story of the enslavement and exodus begins. We're going to talk on this on the show this week about two concepts that are so central to the existence of the Jewish people ever since Egypt. It is says in this week's Torah portion that the more you punish, the more you abuse the Jewish people, the more they grow. And this is a concept that somehow our Palestinian neighbors have not been able to understand. So this week, past week, a young man, Yudah Dimitment, was killed by Palestinian terrorists in a wave of Palestinian terror. We're going to talk about him, about his character, and about what this means for the Jewish people, what this means for the conflict why Palestinians are only digging their own grave with every Jewish drop of blood. So we're going to talk about this. And the other thing I want to talk about is the fact that it is very important for us to understand that in Egypt, the Jewish people did not assimilate. What enabled them not to assimilate and why today in America and in diaspora, Jews are assimilating at such fast rates. I'm going to talk about assimilation and intermarriage following my presentation at the Knesset earlier last week and some ideas of why I see assimilation and intermarriage taking place at such fast rates. So all of this on this show from Barshat Shemot. Um, see you on the other side of these commercial messages. Stay put. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back. So, in a wave of new Palestinian terror 
a young man by the name of Yudha Dementment was killed on Thursday. Yudha Dementment lived in the town of Shavashamron in the Samaria, and he was a student at the Shiva of Chomish. Chomish is one of several communities in northern Samaria that were dismantled and evacuated during the disengagement in 2005. Since then, a small group of men have set up a yeshiva in Chomish to keep a Jewish presence in that on that site, and Yudah Dementment was one of them. Yudah also happened to be a childhood friend and classmate of one of my son-in-laws, and we have heard so much about this beautiful young man. My son-in-law has shared that although Yudah had a very clear ideology, and very clear values. He knew exactly what he believed in. And he was very happy and very passionate to discuss his values with other people. And very often that ended up in lively debates. At the end, even if you didn't agree with Judah, you could not help but become his friend. He had this warm, charming, open personality. He loved people. And people loved him back. And even people with ideas and opinions very different from his loved him and were friends with him. It's such a rare trait to have during this day. Yudah has been married for several years now. And nine months ago, he and his wife, 23-year-old, who is a widow now, widow now had a, a baby boy who um, is today a nine-month-old orphan. The story has been devastating. Yudah has 11 brothers and sisters. He is the youngest of them all. And now these 11 brothers and sisters, the parents of the young widow, are all sitting shiva and mourning the passing of this such special young man. Now, t- zooming out for a minute, this is not the first terrorist attack in recent months, nor is it the last. Just over Shabbat, a 65-year-old Palestinian woman in Hebron tried to stab a man just outside the cave of Machpelah, Marata Machpelah. And in a separate instance, somebody tried to stab another Jew at a checkpoint. There have been stabbings and murders for quite a few weeks in what is a new wave of terror. These come and go in Israel all the time. But it is important to understand that this is a wave and these are not separate instances, as some people would like us to believe. And especially against this backdrop, it is despicable that last week an American Undersecretary of Defense asked the Israeli Minister of Internal Security about the quote-unquote settle of violence and what Israel is doing to reduce settle of violence as if settlers and their violence are the main problem plaguing Israel right now. And unfortunately, the Israeli Minister of Internal Security, Omer Balev, went right along with the script and spoke out against settler violence as if settlers are the problem. So obviously this outlook is despicable. It creates a problem. It emboldens the Palestinians. And I think both American and Israeli government officials should check in to see the reality on the ground and 
show a very strong hand against Palestinian terrorism. Because unless you understand that this is a wave, unless you understand the problem, recognize and name it, you cannot fight it. But I want to go back for a minute to the story of Yuda Dimitman. I urge you, if you have not read the reports and if you've not seen his face, to go to Google right now, type in Yehuda Dimentman photograph and look at this young man's beautiful face. Beautiful, honest, open, sweet, caring, such a beautiful young man. It really shows on his face. Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, says in the Bible that a person's wisdom lights up his face. And yes, Judah Dimitman's face lights up with holiness and goodness that just shine through. And unfortunately, our enemies don't see this. Our enemies do not see people. Our enemies do not see goodness. Our enemies do not see wisdom. Our enemies don't understand holiness. Our enemies are so blinded, they don't see the good. They don't care that the young man they killed is a father. They don't care that he left behind a 23-year-old widow. They don't care about his 9-month-old orphan son. They don't care about their 11 brothers and sisters who are going to be sitting shiva now. And they certainly don't care about the parents who are sitting shiva as well. They're blinded by the darkness of their own evil. They're blinded by their own hate. They're blinded by their own thirst for Jewish blood. They're blinded by their own lack of humanity. You know, the Romans used to say, tell me who your friend is and I will tell you who you are. But now looking at our enemies, I think you should say, look at who your enemy is and I will tell you who you are. If you the dementment is your enemy, then all it says is how dark your heart is, how evil you have to be to indiscriminately gun down this young man who had so much promise and so much goodness and so many values in his heart, who was bringing so much love to everybody around him. So yes, if Eudemontment is your enemy, if you cannot live in the same world as Eudemontment, and you have to gun him down in order to prove your own point, the only thing you're proving is your own evil darkness. But here's the thing. History is not morally blind. Jews have been the canneries in the mind of every single society. And every single society that went after the Jews and every single society that showed its own Jew hatred really projected its own toxicity, really projected its own illness and sickness. And you know, from 3,000 years of Jewish diaspora, of Jews wandering the world, we know that when society hates Jews, and when society persecutes Jews, when societies spill Jewish blood, those same societies are on the brink, and their own end is right in sight. 
So, yes, the hate that the Palestinian Arabs feel for us Jews is going to eat them from the inside. Every drop of Jewish blood they spill, every tear of a Jewish widow, every sigh of an orphan they cause will eat into the fabric of their own society like acid. They don't understand that. They don't understand that by pursuing their murderous plans, they're digging their own collective graves. They don't understand that by teaching their own children hatred, by indoctrinating their own children to hate Jews, they are unleashing the wrath of those same children unto themselves. Because once a child's soul is tainted with hatred, It hates indiscriminately. It hates everybody. You can't channel violence in one direction. Once violence takes hold of somebody's soul, that violence will lash out right, left, and center. And we saw that actually in standoffs between the Hamas and the PLO. When those two organizations fight each other, they fight each other with cruelty, and vehemence, and hate, like nothing you have seen anywhere else. Because violence doesn't stop at the gates. And by teaching their own children to hate, and by propagating violence in their midst, what Palestinians are doing is actually ripping up the fabric of their own society, ripping up their moral fiber. And that will be the price they will pay for what they do more than anything that Israelis could ever do in self-defense. 75 years after the Holocaust, like Lady Macbeth, the Germans are still washing the Jewish blood of their consciousness and kill and wash it off. The Germans still cannot get out the guilt. That should be a warning tale for our present-day enemies. But they're so blind, they don't see it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. Jewish people are eternal. Our connection to the land of Israel is eternal. Nothing, nothing, nothing they can do will ever change that. No amount of bullets, no amount of knives, no amount of stabbings, no amount of hate can ever sever the connection between the Jewish people and the land of Israel. And this is our biggest nechama. This is our biggest comfort. And from here, we would like to wish full recovery to the two friends of Yehuda Dimitman who were wounded and send our vibes and love to his wife, his son, his brothers, and his sisters. Please stay tuned and we will come back right after these messages. Shalom, everybody. 
Making a difference often takes just one moment and one person at a time. I am Orly Benny Davis, your show host on Israel News Talk Radios from Jerusalem with love. You'll be hearing people talking about politics, religion, social issues, and making a better tomorrow. Join me, Orly Benny Davis, for God and Country. From Jerusalem with love. Wednesdays on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back. A major theme of this week's Torah portion is the fact that the Jewish people did not assimilate in the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt, they preserved their nature, they preserved their identity, they preserved their community. And the sages actually ask, what was it that enabled the Jewish people to preserve their identity and not assimilate? And they answer that the Jewish people preserved their language their dress, and their names, the building blocks of their culture, which made them stick together and stick apart from the general Egyptian culture and not assimilate into it. And I want to devote the next two segments to this issue of assimilation, because I think as Jews, many of us living in non-Jewish societies, assimilation is rampant. It is in the 50 and 60 and 70 and 80% in many of the countries. And we need to discuss it. This week, I was asked to present at the newly formed Diaspora Caucus at the Knesset. I was asked to present statistics about American Jewry. Now, many statistical facts have come out with the Pew study that was published earlier this year and with additional studies. There are about 6.5 million Jews who live in Israel, but another 8 million people, another 8 million Jews in the diaspora, most notably about 5.5 million in the United States. But then there are large Jewish communities in other countries like the UK and France and Canada. But I wanted to start my presentation not with these numbers, but with two um, newspaper stories that I saw recently in recent weeks coming out of the United States. And these two pictures, I think, really represent the trends that are happening right now. On the one hand, was a reform temple in Fort Lee, New Jersey, that had been sold to the Korean church. Next to it was a story of another reform temple um, that was sold to Chabad that was in Dolstone. And these two pictures really represent the trends that are happening. For a very, very long time, a large chunk of American Jewry belonged to the reform and conservative movements. They weren't what you would call observant or religious, but they had a Jewish identity that was based in the temple, in the reform temple or the conservative temple, and they would have pass- rites of passage and certain amount of Hebrew school schooling, and a certain amount of Jewish identity and and holidays. And this is what life was like. And although the former conservative movements do not require people to observe all commandments, they still give them a sense of Jewish identity. This is no longer so. If you look at the generation of grandfathers 
and grandmothers, people who are in their 60s and older. Over 70% or close to 70% of the grandparents belong to the reform and conservative woman today. But if you look at their grandchildren, people who are in the age bracket of 18 to 30, only 35% belong to these movements. What happened to the other 35%? They became unaffiliated. And unaffiliated usually means that they have much less of Jewish identity. They're less likely to be married to Jews. They're less likely to care about Judaism. They're less likely to care about Israel. They're less likely to have any kind of Jewish observance. So over the length of two generations, 35 years, we lost almost 35% of Jews to assimilation. And this is represented by that church, by that uh, synagogue sold to the Korean church. So many reform and conservative temples are closing because the younger generations are not there and they simply cannot support the programming and the activities. In fact, over the past 20 years, the reform and conservative movements closed over 350 synagogues. That's between 25 and 30% of all the synagogues in the United States. And I presented these facts to the Knesset Diaspora Caucus as a warning tale of what happens when you make Jewish identity tentative, when you allow to cherry pick, when you don't have a strong message against intermarriage like the reform movement does not have, and we will discuss it in the next segment. And it's very important for me to note that I'm not coming out against people who worship in the reform temples. I do not come out against people who identify as reform. God forbid, I have nothing against people like this. You're my brothers and sisters, and I love you, and I support your new Jewish identity. It's not about people who identify as reform. It's about the movements that by allowing intermarriage, by making intermarriage acceptable, by normalizing it, are in fact encouraging assimilation and the loss of Jewish identity for so many people, for so many young Jews who no longer see Judaism as binding, but they see it as optional and they leave. And that is tragic. On the other hand, there is some good news because today over 38% of American Jews of all identities and all um, denominations come to support and participate in Jewish activities in Chabad. And yes, they're not fully observant, the overwhelming majority of them, but that doesn't matter because in Chabad they find the warm and supportive atmosphere that brings them closer. And this is also seen in the Chabad number of synagogues. Over the past 20 years, same 20 years, Chabad has tripled, yes, 300% the number of their centers. During Corona alone, 500 new Chabad rabbis and rabbitsons have come out to work in the field and bring Judaism to more and more families. Very often on Facebook, when I see people in groups asking, who should I go to to get this Jewish service? Who can I go to 
to get help with Jewish education? Who can I go to to find a synagogue in the middle of this little town? People will say, what about your local Chabad? And people will say, yeah, but we are reform. And somebody else will say, that's fine. Just go to Chabad. They'll take care of you. I'm seeing this every single day on Facebook and on different social media channels. And this is becoming a trend because people who are not finding what they're looking for in other settings are finding what they're looking for in Chabad. And this is not just because Chabad has such a warm atmosphere. It is because Chabad is sending people the real thing. This is the Torah. It's all true. It's all authentic. You can't cut it up. You can't cherry pick from it. But you can take what works for you right now. They don't change the rules. They don't bend the truth. They give the whole thing, understanding that every person will come at their own level and do what they can with what is available. Now, why is this also so important? Because the same Pew study we quoted earlier also shows that the greater somebody's devotion to the mitzvot, the greater somebody's connection to the Torah, the greater the connection to the land of Israel as well. Across multiple categories, such as I've visited in Israel more than once in my life, or I feel a deep or certain connection to Israel, or I'm against the BDS movement, or I see a lot in common with other Jews in Israel. Across all of these questions, people who identify as Orthodox had a greater level of connection to Israel than those who identified as conservative and conservative more than reform and reform consistently more than the unaffiliated. The more people are connected to Jewish tradition, the more people are connected to Jewish heritage, the more people feel that the nature of the Torah is binding and that the nature of Judaism is binding and that it is a core concept in their Jewish identity, the more they feel connected to the land of Israel, to the state of Israel. There's no getting around it. The numbers are very, very clear. And in some of these, on some of these questions, people who are Orthodox answered three and four times more in the positive about their connection to the land of Israel to the state of Israel than those who are unaffiliated. So if the state of Israel wants to encourage Jews to be connected to the state of Israel, if the state of Israel is worried about the disconnect between itself and the diaspora jury, it would do well to invest in programs to encourage Jewish identity, to encourage Jewish education, to encourage participation in holidays and Jewish rites of passage because it is active, hands-on, real Judaism that is not about cherry-picking and is not just about social justice and other pet projects that really gets people involved and staying in Judaism, loyal to Judaism, marrying Jewish, and yes, connected to the state of Israel. Right now, the Israeli government thinks that if it divides the Kotel and creates a reform and conservative plaza at the Kotel, it will bring American Jewry back. Nothing could be for, further from truth. American Jewry, in large numbers, doesn't care about the Kotel. American Jewry does care about continuing to exist and preventing assimilation. 
And it is the here on this important issue that it needs Israeli government's help. More about that right after these messages. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. Welcome back for this last segment of today's show. So as I mentioned earlier this week, I got to present at the Knesset Diaspora Caucus some information and statistics about diaspora jury and world jury in particular. And one person did not like what I had to say. That was the diaspora minister, Nachman Chai. He was very unhappy about the quote-unquote denominational debate and he is of the opinion that all Jewish denominations should get equal funds and resources if we want to win against um, assimilation and the loss of jury in the diaspora. And of course, I don't agree. And once again, it's extremely important for me to underline and emphasize that I have nothing against our former conservative brothers and sisters. They are brothers and sisters and we'll love them respect them and cherish and treasure them. Um, Even if we do have a theological debate, I do take exception with the reform movement, who I think is presiding over one of the largest campaigns of assimilation in Jewish history, where hundreds of thousands of young Jews have learned that it is valid, permissible, okay, and Jewishly valid to intermarry, where by giving its stamp of approval to intermarriage, the reform movement is encouraging um, intermarriage. And I've wanted to make sure that I'm not making a mistake on this point. So I went ahead and researched the issue. And I want to share with you just a few quotes that I picked up over diff- from different publications about the reform movement's outlook on intermarriage. So officially, the reform movement is against intermarriage, and the Council of American Rabbis says so, that they officially oppose intermarriage. But this is not what comes out from the way they speak. So for example, Rick Jacobs, who is the head of the American Reform Movement, uh, addressed the Union for Reform Movement Biennial in San Diego. 
and he said that people should stop speaking about intermarriage as if it were a disease. It is not. He says that the reform movement's singular goal is to make sure that a widening, not shrinking circle of young people in our community experience a Judaism that is deep, compelling, and inclusive. Simultaneously, they might hear from the Jewish leaders that interfaith couples can be and are supported in the effort to raise deeply committed Jewish families. While other voices will surely proclaim that endogamy, or in marriage, is the only effective way to have a committed Jewish family, the reform movement has something altogether different to say. Jewish commitment can be established in a variety of settings, especially with support and increased opportunity for learning and engaging. Falling in love with someone who is not Jewish is not a failure of Jewish commitment at a time when young adults' lives are just beginning. So what he's saying is that marrying out, marrying non-Jewish is not a failure. It's not a failure of Jewish commitment. And that if you intermarry, you will be just as welcomed in a reform setting. And that intermarriage is not a disease. So look, if somebody intermarries and has a non-Jewish spouse, I also think that they should be welcomed in a community. And actually, we talked about Chabad in the previous segment very often intermarried families will also be welcome in Chabad, especially the Jewish children will be welcomed in the Chabad schools and in the, in the synagogue. But that's not the same as sending a message that intermarriage is okay. In Chabad, they will un- very clearly will say that intermarriage is not okay. But if you're ready intermarried, we're happy to welcome you and give you the services and allow you to have Jewish experiences. It's not the same as saying that marrying non-Jewish is not a failure of Jewish commitment. It most certainly is. And by making this message very prominent, the reform movement is encouraging young Jews to intermarry. Same Rick Jacobs, in a different interview, um, the interviewer says that he asked twice whether there was any value in articulating a communal preference for inter- in marriage over intermarriage. And the second time, the reporter followed up by asking, is it something you encourage or prefer? Neither time did he, Rick Jacobs, the head of the American Reform Movement, gave me a direct answer. Okay, here we're talking about preference for in marriage. Is there preference for in marriage in the reform movement? And this is something that Rick Jacobs could not articulate, a preference for in marriage. Moreover, David Ariel Joel at Beit Daniel, uh, one of the few reform temples in Israel, a reform temple in Tel Aviv, was recently talking about welcoming intermarried families. And he has this to say, intermarriage is not going to stop. It was never a question of whether Jews would marry non-Jews. Historically, when non-Jews were willing to marry Jews, Jews were happy to marry them. Now listen to this. Intermarriage is a positive challenge, not a problem. Thank God Jews are not hated or excluded in our country. Thank God that non-Jews want to marry Jews. Now, we're all happy to live in a country, this is now me talking, yes? Now, we're all happy to live in a country where 
non-Jews are welcoming to Jews and where Jews are part of the secular society and are part of the general society, that's wonderful. But thing, saying that intermarriage is a positive challenge and not a problem is very rich for a rabbi who is supposed to encourage Jews to preserve their identity. And I think it is naive to think that intermarriage will not result in the loss of Jewish identity one or two generations down the line. Okay? The same, um, David Ariel Joel has this to add. Our challenge is how to make our doors wide enough for everyone who wishes to enter. Our challenge is to stop policing who is Jewish and who is not and put our energy into acceptance, engagement, and welcoming interfaith families. So he would like to use the language of policing who is Jewish and who is not, but basically what this means is we don't care if you're Jewish or not. Just come. Our temple is so empty. Just come. Please sit down. Please be here for us to have programming. Now, you need to understand that the side of the Union of Progressive uh, Jury, the international organization representing the reform movement, has 1.2 million members on its site. That is the official number of the reform movement. 1.2 million members worldwide out of 40 million Jews. Just six months ago, that number on that side was 1.8 million. What happened to 600,000 Jews in six months? What happened to 600,000 members of the four movement temples in six months? Where did they go? Bringing in the non-Jews and bringing in interfaith couples sounds like a great plan if you want to boost numbers, but it doesn't work. Because the real Jews are leaving. And this is something that they don't understand. Okay? And on the side of Union of Reform Judaism, the headline is Interfaith Families. Okay? Reform Judaism sees you, welcomes you, is you. In communities all across our movement, there are interfaith families thriving in our sanctuaries, schools, and synagogue leadership. You don't have to be Jewish to find a home in Jewish community. When you show up with the wholeness of who you are, when you give from your own life's harvest, our Jewish world grows stronger and more beautiful. If you identify as interfaith, multi-faith, Jewish adjacent or Jew-ish, you belong in our movement. If your Jewish children enjoy celebrating with the extended family on Diwali, Easter, Ramadan, you belong. So I think you get the idea. I think we've had enough quotes. And, you know, I could find many, many quotes like this. If you dilute Judaism, if you make it Kool-Aid, if you bring in everybody, if the doors are so open, they have no meaning. If anybody can be Jewish any way they want, you take the heart and meaning out of Judaism. It doesn't mean anything. And it starts being attractive. And in a, com- and in a society and a community where everything goes, there's absolutely no reason to be Jewish. There's absolutely no reason to commit. And this is why young Jews are leaving the reform movement in droves. This is why the reform communities are closing their doors and synagogues are combining and selling their properties because they're empty. 
if you sell a Judaism that is empty, if you sell a Judaism that anybody can practice any way they want, and anybody can be Jewish, and anybody and anything can be Jewish, then why would people stick with you? Why would people be loyal to you? The words are beautiful and welcoming. They're empty. So I think that the four movement served the purpose for many years by giving people a Jewish experience where they didn't want to commit to full observance. And there was a place for that. But the emptier the promises became, the emptier the ideology became, the emptier the centuries and schools became. And this is going to continue. And as the reform movement facilitates intermarriage and assimilation, it is emptying out and now trying to pull its agenda over to Israel and create a foothold here and create a presence in Israel where it is completely irrelevant and almost non-existent. And this brings us back to the Kotal Compromise and the Kotal Saga, which is so tragic because they pitted Jew against Jew in a fight that is completely unnecessary. I hope we'll have more time to talk about that during the future shows. For now, I wish you to have a great week. Bye-bye. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.